Amen, amen. Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. If you don't know me, uh, my name's Billy. I get the privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. That's a huge honor for me uh, to do that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, we've been walking through a series called Be the Church. We've already worked our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and now we're in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, and we heard Blake last week uh, open up kind of the, uh, the teaching of the New Covenant. I don't know if that was familiar language with you or not, but the New Covenant is an incredible thing in the Bible, and so... Uh, Honestly, it's, it's a huge thing for us to understand because, you know, when we come into the New Testament and God uh, sends his son Jesus to die and now through faith in him, uh, believers, when they put their faith in Christ, now receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit resides in every believer. Uh, that opens the door for not just preachers to be ministers of the gospel, but all people, all Christians now become ministers of the gospel, and this is a glorious reality. Jesus even said himself, when the Spirit comes, greater works will happen on the earth. And what are those greater works? Well, those greater works are the Spirit of God living inside of believers like you and I and empowering us uh, to share the gospel and empowering us to be a part of God's mission all over the world. And it's an incredible, glorious truth to think about uh, the fact that the Spirit of God, God himself, lives inside of you and I and it seals us for salvation and establishes salvation and uh, compels us to follow Jesus and then empowers us with the gifts of the Spirit to do ministry. And so uh, today, as we dive into 2 Corinthians 4, Paul's just kind of continuing that train of thought uh, in chapter 4, not just about introducing the new covenant and ministers of the new covenant, but now he's going to kind of explain what life is like uh, as a believer in this when you have the Spirit of God and you're doing ministry. And so it's important for every person in this room to understand that if you are a Christian, that you have a ministry, right? And so it's not like, okay, Billy's the preacher on stage. He's the only person with, a, with the ministry. Absolutely not. When uh, in the New Covenant, when the Holy Spirit comes into believers, immediately you become qualified for ministry, not because of anything you do or anything you bring to the table, but because of the Spirit of God that's in you. And it's important to understand that. And so, so many people, uh, probably even in this room, have trouble uh, believing that Christ can use you. And I want you to understand that Christ can and will use you. He's not necessarily interested in your ability. He's just asking you to be available for his Spirit to be uh, to be a conduit of his spirit into the world. And so as we read through this, if I talk about ministry, don't zone out on me because every person in this room, if you're a Christian, is called to be a minister. And so you'll see that here shortly. So let's read together chapter four of 2 Corinthians. We'll start in verse one and we'll work our way through verse 18. So verse one says this, therefore, anytime you see therefore, it's important to understand the context before. Remember, that's what Blake taught last week about this new covenant Ministry. So he says, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry. We, as in plural, me, you, all of us, Paul, and the Corinthians, we have this ministry. What ministry? This ministry of the new covenant, the fact that we're all called to be a part of God's mission now. And then he says, because uh, by God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. All right, that's interesting language. Why would he say don't lose heart? Well, because it's difficult, right? So anytime you tell somebody not to lose heart, 
The reason a person loses heart is because they get frustrated or it's too hard or something happens that kind of knocks them off stride. And Paul wants us to understand that in ministry, all of those things are gonna happen. You're gonna get frustrated. Uh, you're gonna not understand some things sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's important that we not lose heart. And he's about to tell us why. He says, rather than lose heart, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul, of course, with the Corinthians, has faced some very difficult situations, some very complicated situations that we've talked about in the, in the weeks prior to this. Um, but he's telling them, don't lose heart. And even in the midst of frustrating ministry and some confusing situations, it's worth it to continue to press in because God is at work. And Paul gives us some examples. He says, because it was hard, I didn't resort to shameful or secret ways. I didn't change my motivation. Uh, I didn't uh, twist God's word to try to deceive you or to try to win you over to my own agenda. Uh, I didn't change God's message to make it uh, tickle your ears more and make you feel better about yourself or, or your own sin. He says, no, we faithfully proclaimed the truth because our motivation is to please God and not just to please God, but to see the Corinthians walk in true freedom. And that's what we have to understand is it, teachers everywhere in our country today are twisting God's word to make it sound better, to make it feel better to you in, in a lot of ways. And you have to be able to understand your freedom and abundant life in our life is not found by knowing any other God than the God of the Bible just the way he's presented in the revelation of himself in scripture. And so as a church, as a person, I want you to understand that if you wanna find somebody that's gonna support you in the sinful habits that you have or try to conform the, the plan of God around you, you can find that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I want you to understand that in doing that, you also forsake abundant life and true freedom because you're not created to, for a God that's all about you. You're created for a God of the Bible. And as we find and pursue him and walk with him, what we find is the life that we were created to live. So it's important for us to understand that. Then he goes on and listen, he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's an interesting language. God of this age would be a reference towards uh, Satan, our enemy. The devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And Paul says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, which is a quote from Genesis where God spoke and light shined out of darkness, also made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Paul's wanting them to understand, listen, it's not my job to save people. Like, I'm not in the saving business. God doesn't need our help to save a person. He invites us in to help him in the process. We carry the message, 
but God does the saving. It's not my job to change God's message, to try to make it more attractive, to try to make it more persuasive. No, like God has done everything and given us everything necessary to see a person saved. It's our job to faithfully present the gospel, the fact that God created us to be in relationship with himself, and that's where we find abundant life, but that we have sinned and we've fallen away from God. And because we've sinned and rebelled against God and kind of went our own way, we've separated ourselves from God. So now the life that we were created to live, we can't live because God is separated from us. And so that's a dilemma. So what happens? Well, God sends his son Christ to do what we could never do for ourselves. Christ came, lived the life that we deserve, that we couldn't live. He followed the law perfectly. He died on a cross, absorbed the punishment and wrath of God in our place so that now when we put our faith in him, we can be reconciled back to God and we can walk in his plan and we can walk in reconciliation with him again. And Paul says, this is the message that we have. And he says, as you share this message and you share about the truth of who Christ is and what God sent Christ to do, that he shines the light of his gospel into the hearts of people in the same way he spoke and light came into the world, the light of the gospel shines into people's heart and they are spiritually raised to life from the dead. And for the first time, it's like blinders fall off of their eyes and they begin to see they were created for God and that God is the supreme treasure. He's the one that we need to be walking with and living. Have you ever thought about, uh, have you ever thought about lostness this way? Have you ever thought about lostness as being blind, as the fact that Satan has blinded the eyes of, of unbelievers? And, and this is important for us as a church to understand because I see this a lot uh, where we are. Like people get mad at lost people for acting lost. Have you ever seen that? Like they have an expectation that a, a lost person who doesn't know God should act like a person that does know God, right? But the Bible is very clear when a person doesn't know God, like they have no desire to follow God. They have no reason to follow God. They're gonna do what they wanna do when they wanna do it. And we should, of anybody, understand that because we were that before Christ got a hold of us, right? And so as we go to minister to people, we need to understand that they have blinders over their eyes. And Satan can blind people in a lot of different ways. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Do you remember Saul's conversion in Acts chapter nine where Paul, the, the writer of this letter, is walking on the road to Damascus and he walks and he sees this bright light. And do you remember what the bright light did to him? It blinded him, he couldn't see. And so they led him into Damascus. And, and Paul, of course, before he was saved, was a true hell raiser. I mean, he raised... I mean, he was terrorist towards the church, killing Christians, everything you can think of not to do, but he was also religious, so just throw that in the mix. So just a bad dude, he meets Christ, Christ blinds him, he gets to Damascus, Christ sends uh, Ananias to him, Ananias prays for him, and then the Bible says something very specific. It says, it was like scales fell from his eyes. And then from that point forward, we see Paul live one of the greatest missionary lives ever in the history of the world. And so when we think about salvation from a biblical standpoint, this is how we should think about it, is that Christ shines the light of the gospel into our hearts, he opens our eyes, and when he opens our eyes for the first time, we begin to think the way we need to think, and we begin to see the way we need to see, namely that we are created for God, 
and we're created by God and that our purposes are found in God and he is our ultimate treasure. And this is important. I call this moment an aha moment. This is something that happened to me my first year in college where uh, I'd grown up kind of coming in and out of church, but I'd, I'd never truly believed that God's plan for my life was better than the plan that I had for my life. You know what I'm talking about? And so if you haven't been to that moment, it's a good moment to get to, but I'm stubborn, so um, I like to kind of wrestle through my own thoughts and try to get to, the, to my own plan, but finally God humbled me, knocked me down, and basically I got to the point where I surrendered and said, Lord, I've tried this on my own. It didn't work out. I'm ready for what you have in store for my life. And from that moment forward, the trajectory of my life changed forever. And I began to walk in a whole different way. I began to do different things, hang out with different people. And I began to live my life differently because I began to surrender it to God. And that was an aha moment for me where the direction of my life completely changed. And it's important for us as a Christian that we come and you, you can see this, even in the way that you talk to people. When you're having conversations with lost people and all they can think about is what they have to give up to become a Christian, like the logic of that thought is what I'm giving up is better than what I'm getting. That makes sense? And so you can tell very clearly that their eyes have been blinded to the gospel because when you see Christ for who he is and what he's done, he is the greatest treasure in the, in the world ever. And so when we see him for who he is, our last thought is what we have to give up. I mean, think about the parable of the hidden treasure. What does he say? He found the treasure in the field. He buried it, went and sold everything he had and got that field so that he could have that treasure because it was greater than any treasure he'd ever found. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so when we see Christ for who he is and the purpose that he brings into our life, the identity, the meaning that he brings into our life, Nothing else compares to him. It's not that we don't struggle with other things and throwing them in there, but at the end of the day, we recognize God is the treasure. And when that moment happens in our life, that's when the scales have fallen from our eyes. And so that is the moment. And we can't get so mad at people before that moment that we have no influence to talk to them before that moment. Does that make sense? And so we can't expect lost people to act saved. And so Paul shows us that in this passage. And the glorious reality of this is God has given us the opportunity as a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit to be his messenger to help people go from blind to see. Like, can you imagine? Like, there's nothing like talking to someone about Christ and literally you see for the first time their eyes begin to open up and they're like, oh my God, like I have missed this. I've been living for myself my entire life, and I thought that that was the way that I was gonna find fulfillment and happiness. And in one instant, you just see, and you didn't even do anything. Listen, like I wish I could tell you I could talk people into that, but you can't. It's something that God does in our hearts, and he does it through people lovingly ministering to folks and sharing to them about Christ. Listen to verse seven. Listen to where he goes from here. Paul says, but we have this treasure, this message in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. And so Paul's saying, listen, this idea of all of us becoming ministers filled with the Holy Spirit in the new covenant is a glorious reality. But it's also very difficult to live out. Because when you begin to minister on behalf of God and you begin to walk in the mission that he's called each of us to walk in, you begin to start experiencing some things. And I mean, Paul here himself, he says over and over, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. He says literally, we are like jars of clay, which are fragile. Think about a jar of clay. If you drop it, it gets cracked, all these things. But he says, we may be like jars of clay in this world, but we got something inside of us that's beyond this world. It's eternal. It's of eternal value. And they can do whatever they want to to this outward man, this jar of clay. But on the inside, there's nothing you can do to take the Spirit of God, the message of God, the purpose of God away from this person who is now a jar of clay with treasure. Listen to verse 12. So he says, so then, death is at work in us, but life is also at work in you. So even if I'm experiencing these, these difficult things, it's worth it because now I'm getting to see you alive and because the Corinthians were saved through the persecution that Paul was experiencing. Verse 13, he says, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And so this is an incredible illustration that Paul uses to explain this ministry. He wants us to understand the glorious reality of what he's given us the opportunity to be a part of, namely helping raise dead people to life in Christ. But then too, he wants us to understand this isn't all butterflies and rainbows. Like this is a difficult process. This is a difficult life that we are asked to live in this world. And he, he uses the illustration of we are jars of clay, but we have eternal treasure in us. I want you to just think into this illustration a little bit more. It's, so it's outwardly, we are fragile people, like a clay pot that's decaying and cracking physically. But inwardly, spiritually, eternally, we are unbreakable. There's nothing this world can throw at us that can take away what we have in Christ. Paul says we will be hard-pressed, which literally means to be squeezed by the world. You can insert your definition into how the world's gonna squeeze us, but we won't be crushed because the world can't take what we have in Christ. We will be perplexed, which means confused, like we will have questions a lot of the times about what's going on, but we will not be driven to despair, meaning you can't take our hope because our hope isn't in circumstances, it's in Christ who's outside of our circumstances. We will be persecuted, criticized, ridiculed, but never abandoned. Christ will always be with us because he indwells us through the Spirit of God. We may even be struck down, which means you may even kill me, but you won't destroy me because Christ is in me. And he's gonna raise me up the same way he raised Christ up. Can you see how frustrating it would be to try to stop Paul? I mean, whatever you do, he just flips it on his head. You know, it's like, hey, throw me out in the boat. Oh, they put a hole in the boat. Dang, we're shipwrecked. 
We're, we're here. Oh, wow, let me lead this guy to Christ. We'll get on this boat, go to this house. I'll get this whole island saved, and then we'll move on. Or, hey, throw him in prison. Yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, did I mention the jailers just got saved? Oh, crap, am I praying? Oh, the prison doors are opening up. Ah, <laughs> sorry. I mean, this is Paul. This is his life. I mean, he had so much faith and he knew God had a purpose and Paul was surrendered to the fact that if he had breath in his lungs that God was not done with him yet. And for some of us in this room, if we would grasp that and get our eyes off of our circumstances and get our eyes on Christ, the fact that he's given us breath in our lungs and if that is the case, then he's not done with us yet and he has a purpose for our life, then it would literally change our entire life. But we have to begin to think the same way that Paul and Jesus thought as they were on this earth. So physically, Paul says, we're suffering, and honestly, we're dying. Like we're all, I mean, 10 out of 10 people in this room are gonna die. And you're closer tomorrow than you were today, right? So we're in this process together. But spiritually, it's the opposite. The closer we move towards death, the more we become like Christ. <laughs> and so that's the, it's, it's kind of the Benjamin Button effect, spiritually, so to speak. And, and, and Paul knows that as he grows to be more and more like Christ, more and more people are being reached and he's becoming more and more like Jesus. And so they can persecute him, put him in jail, beat him, even try to kill him. But at the end of the day, they can't take what he has in Christ. This is Paul's mindset and this controlled so much of what happened in Paul's life and how he viewed it. And then he summarizes the whole chapter with these couple verses in verse 16. So if I've lost you, pick back up with me here. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Notice that's the second time he said that. Lose heart at what, Paul? He's at ministry, at life, right? Life is a ministry now. And so we do not lose heart. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That's an incredible, listen, this might be the most profound scripture in the entire Bible right here, verse 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles, think about everything that Paul's been through, the last thing you would consider them is light and momentary. I mean, homeboy's almost died several times. He's been through beatings, lashes, shipwrecks, jail. I mean, anything you can think of, he's been done. And he says, listen, for our light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's saying, when we get to glory and look back on the things that we faced in this world for Christ, he said, they won't even compare. They will literally be light and momentary compared to what we receive in Christ. And listen, I can't explain to you how that is gonna happen. I don't think Paul wants us to be able to understand that fully, but I think he wants us to know that whatever we face in this world, doesn't, it, 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 it's not even close to what we get in the next. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an encouragement to persevere. Verse 18, because of this, what do we do? Good question. Paul says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what on, what, on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And so Paul's mindset, because he knew this, the truth about God and the truth about God's plan, he could walk through life not focused on what he could see, 
but on the unseen, on Christ. He had his full attention on Christ, so no matter what situation he found himself in, Christ was at the center of it. Whether he was in jail, shipwrecked, or he was preaching to thousands, he didn't care because his eyes were on Christ, and he knew if Christ gave him breath to breathe, he was gonna be talking about Jesus, and if he was talking about Jesus and he wasn't dead yet, that God still had a purpose and plan for his life. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible passage. There's so much I could focus, about, focus on in this, but I just wanna point out three things to you that I think will be helpful and hopefully serve you well. So the first is this. The first is the truth about evangelism. The truth about evangelism. Did you notice in the first few verses, verses one through six, where Paul made this statement, if the gospel is veiled, then it's veiled to those who are perishing. And the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and we offer ourselves as, as, as servants to God. And so what evangelism is, is evangelism is the act of us going and reaching lost people, right? It's just a church word that means that. This passage teaches us a lot about this idea of us going after lost people. This will serve you well because there's a lot of churches that would rather fight inside the church and fight each other than fight for the thousands of people out here that are dying and going to hell. And as a church, our heart is not to fight each other. Our heart is to fight together to bring new people, lost people, thousands of them in our community, millions and billions of them around the world into the kingdom of God and the unity that comes from that. And so as we do that, we have to understand a few things about evangelism. Letter A, the first thing is that lost people are blind. They're blinded. Paul says they are blinded. Lost people are spiritually blind. Satan has a, a, a veil over their eyes. They literally cannot see how good God is, how beautiful Jesus is. The devil blinds them, and he blinds them in different ways. I want to give you a few ways that the devil can blind us. One, he blinds people by inspiring unbelief. And I want you to think about conversations that you've maybe had with people who are not believers in your life. Well, they can always find ways not to believe in God, right? And they can present the scientific argument, they can present the church hurt argument, whatever argument they wanna present, but at the end of the day, they don't believe because they do not want to believe. And usually that's what you get to. Very seldom is there historical or scientific behind it. It usually has something to do with an experience or the fact that they just don't wanna believe. Satan does that. He blinds us with deception, uh, he's good at this. Listen, Satan is literally masquerades as an angel of light, Paul says. And so he doesn't come at you in these just big obvious ways where it's like, oh yeah, that's the devil. No, like he wants to slip in and make you think uh, that, that a person's a Christian and they can live how they wanna live and then surround them by a bunch of people who believe the same thing, who will do it under the name of grace, but then miss the whole point of scripture and what God's purpose for our life is. And so he deceives, and then that person, what do they do? They walk through their entire life blinded, not truly treasuring Christ, only seeing Christ for what he can give them and not seeing Christ for who he truly is and the treasure that he is, and ultimately, they spend their whole life thinking they're a believer, but at the end of the day, they, they've never surrendered to Christ. I mean, how genius of a plan is that by Satan? And so we have to understand, and we have to understand the gospel good enough that when we're having conversations with people, we can see 
if they understand who Christ is. And ultimately what Paul says, if they treasure him, if they see the light of the glory of Christ in, or the God in the face of Christ. So how are they talking about Jesus? Tell me what you think about Jesus. And usually you can tell very quickly if they understand who he is and what he's done. Satan blinds by twisting scripture, by inspiring doubt, by contradicting truth, by bringing distractions. I mean, we know this. We live in a world full of distractions, right? Satan does that. He tries to get you focused on things that don't really matter in the face of eternity and begin to prioritize those things over God. He blinds us by offering alternative gods, making us think that this is gonna bring ultimate happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction when only Christ can do that in our lives. And here's the deal. We're surrounded by people in our lives, in our workplace, in our jobs, in our schools, maybe even in our families that have been blinded by, by Satan. And here's the reality that we have to understand. We can't get mad at them for being blind. Like God is sending us in as his messenger, as his ambassador, as his representative to them to help them see how good Christ is, which is letter B. Not only do we see that lost people are blind, but two, we are God's messengers. We're his ministers, missionaries, ambassadors. This is Paul's point. We all have a ministry. We all have this ministry. In the new covenant, we have all been filled and empowered with God's spirit to be witnesses. We are God's army sent out into the world to take ground for his kingdom. We are the ministers of reconciliation. Here's what you need to understand. If you've been rescued by God, if you've been saved, God rescued you and immediately put you on the rescue team. And that's his plan to reach the world. God's plan to reach the world is not to do one big church service. That's gonna happen in heaven. Right now, it's divide and conquer. So there's people in your life that you can go out and talk to about Christ that I will never come across in my life. There's people around the world that if we don't send missionaries to, they're never gonna hear the gospel because nobody else is sending. And so we have, to be, we have to take God's mission seriously. We are God's messengers. We are his plan A to go and reach people. And we have to understand that. And what an honor, what a joy, what an opportunity that God would use broken people like you and I filled with his spirit to go out and do this. It's a glorious truth. And then ultimately, the third thing about evangelism is that God alone saves. Like, so the pressure to save people's not on us. Like, he just wants to use us. He's just inviting us into what he's already doing. God, God's word already says that God desires to, send, to save all men. Like, he wants, he wants people saved more than we want people saved. And he says when we go out as his messengers, and we smell like Christ and we live like Christ and we share the message of Christ. As Blake said, the aroma of Christ comes off of us and what happens is through that, he shines the light of the gospel into the lives of people as we begin to share the good news of Christ with them. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to boldly and faithfully share the gospel and God has promised to empower his word to save. And every salvation, I'm telling you, is an absolute Miracle, like we have to understand when we have this view of salvation that a person's eyes are literally blinded. So when you see a blind person's sight restored, that's a miracle, right? 
And so it's the same thing spiritually. When, when a person comes to faith in Christ, this is why we share every story from a person who gets baptized here, is because I never want you guys to, to, get, uh, to get used to, to miracles being normal. Like, miracles are never normal. Like, they're always something that should leave us in awe that God has done in a person's life. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, preachers, David Platt, he, he would always talk about this, uh, that his preaching professor uh, in seminary took him to a graveyard, in a graveyard. Y'all have been to a graveyard before. And one by one, he asked every uh, student in this seminary class, this preaching class, to stand up and share the gospel, you know, share who God is, uh, what, you know, what Christ has done for them. And, uh, you know, and then he was like, okay, good job. And then he put them to the side. So one by one, all 15 of them stood up. And at the end of the, day, at, at the, end of the time, nothing happened, right? And so he says, this is exactly what God is sending you out to do. You're sharing a message with dead people that are spiritually dead. And apart from the spirit of God acting on them, they will not be raised to life. And this is the promise that God has given us as messengers. If we will share the message and we will tell them about Christ, he has promised to shine the light of his gospel into their hearts and to take them from blind to seeing. Like that's his promise. And he's given us that opportunity to be a part of them, but we have to take the responsibility of sharing seriously and it's important that we're able to do that because when we have this understanding, what happens to us is three things happen in our life. One, we start to be compassionate towards lost people. Like we don't just write people off and like, man, I hate it for them. They're going to hell in a handbasket. We don't like you don't that that doesn't exist in the Christian heart. Like when we see a lost person, we should immediately think, what God's done for me, He can do for them. They just don't know it yet. That, that's the posture that God wants us in: compassion. Missional living. God, what do you want to do in me and through me today? Who is it in my life today that you want me to share what you're doing in my life with? Prayer, praying. I mean, the song we just sang, asking God to move. Like, asking God specifically, Lord, save this person. God, give me an opportunity to share with this person. Would you shine the light of the gospel in their hearts? The second thing we learn in this passage is the truth about ministry. So not just the truth about evangelism, but we also learn some things about uh, ministry. When I say ministry, again, I'm talking to every Christian uh, in the room, the person that's living their life on mission. A couple things that Paul wants us to know. One, ministry is hard. Ministry is hard. People always have a rose-colored view of ministry. But if you've ever looked through the teachings of Paul and heard his language and the way he talks about ministry, he says things like this. I'm pouring myself out like a drink offering. I count my life worth nothing if I can just finish the task that God has done. And so we start to see the language he uses towards ministry is a lot harder than maybe we like to think about it. You know, people have this rose-colored view of, of, of ministry. They think that everything's just peaches and cream when you get in ministry. Everything you follow Jesus is all easy. But ministry's difficult, and it's difficult for a few reasons. One, it's difficult because you and I are sinful. Like, that's enough in itself. The very definition of ministry is self-denial. Like, I'm, I'm laying my agenda down, my, my life down, and I'm counting others more significant than myself, and I'm living for the sake of Christ. So in that, that's hard enough by itself, right? Because if you have any experience like I do as a Christian, you know every morning when your feet hit the ground, 
your first thought is what? What do I want to do today? What do I want to do today? And your first move as a Christian is, Lord, I don't want to live for myself today. I want to live for you. Right? And so if that's not enough, that's, that's hard. The second reason uh, it's hard is that people are difficult. I mean, ministry would be easy if messy people weren't involved. But the problem is every person in this room is messy, including me. We all have baggage. We all have sin in our life. We're in an absolute battle uh, every day. We all struggle to trust others and give people the benefit of the doubt. And many, many times that rose-colored view comes out here too. You know, we think we're just gonna walk up to somebody and be like, hey man, I know your life's falling apart. You need Christ. You need Jesus. And they're just gonna look back and say, you know what, you're right. I do need Jesus. Can I repent and be saved right now? Like very rarely is that gonna happen. Or maybe you're a connect group leader and you're like, man, God, this person, if I could just get them pressing into God, their life would just, I swear their life would get better and better. And you have the conversation, hey, how's your relationship with God? Well, I just hadn't been prioritizing him. I'm doing these other things. And you say, well, you know what? I think if you'll just begin to take some time, spend some time with God every day, surround yourself with good people, you can start making progress. You're right. You know, I've never thought of that. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I'm gonna read my Bible now every morning and I'm gonna come to group and I'm gonna, man, I'm really gonna start taking my spiritual growth seriously. Never had that conversation hardly with anybody. Or maybe you're trying to have a difficult conversation with a person because this is what ministry happens, right? Somebody goes astray. Well, the Bible tells us when somebody goes astray as a Christian, we go after them. Right, But many times, I'll go after a person, and I'm thinking, man, if I can get in front of them, they're going to respond. They're going to be ready. Hey, man, I know your life's falling apart. You're about to ruin your life. You're about to lose your family. You're about to lose everything if you don't turn back to Christ. And I'm here to tell you I love you, and man, you, let's, let's get this thing right. I'll walk it out with you. You know, I've never had that person look back at me and say, Billy, man, I'm so glad you called me on my sin. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I don't even know how you knew. No, what do they want to know? Well, who told you that? You know, they're immediately in a posture of like defense, you know? And so ministry is hard, but listen, it's worth it. And that's what Paul wants us to understand is that it's worth it. And then the third thing, third reason it's hard is because opposition is inevitable, right? So not only are we sinful, not only are people difficult, but then when we start trying to help other people grow, we got an enemy that's mad that we're trying to help people grow, so then you put a target on your back or a target on your chest and now the enemy who hates you because now you're being used by God is doing everything he can to disconnect you from God and make you, uh, make you ineffective for the kingdom of God. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And the Bible tells you that. And so in this passage, Paul's telling us that if we live life on mission in ministry, it is going to be difficult. We will experience pressure, perplexity, persecution, maybe even death. But he says in that, as we give away our life the same way Christ did, God will work in it and through it to reach other people. And ultimately, ministry is worth it. And you know why it's worth it? It's worth it because people's eternity is hanging in the balance. Like we can never lose sight of that. Like what God is sending us out to do changes the trajectory of a person's life, not just in the life that they have on earth, but for eternity, for the rest of eternity, what they do with Christ dictates a lot about their life. I wanna read a story to you, and I'm not doing this to scare you. I wanna read this story because I think it'll bring us into perspective that God wants us to be as we live 
on mission. This is a story that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 16 about Lazarus and a rich man. And this is what he says. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. So we got two men, a rich man, and we got Lazarus, who was a beggar, had a terrible life on earth. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. This dude's in tough shape. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him by to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, but he was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So roles have reversed now. Earth, he lived in luxury, Lazarus didn't. Uh, now Lazarus is in heaven, this guy's in hell. What happens? So he called to him, this is the rich man, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. He's not necessarily worried about the sores anymore because he wants, he's in so much pain that he wants him to literally bring a drop of water with his finger, which probably had a sore on it to him. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, are in a, and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. It's a very sobering reality, but the sobering reality of it is the opportunity that we have on this earth, and we don't have it forever, is to take people from one side where the rich man was to the other side where Lazarus was. And God has empowered us with a message, with his spirit to go and do this. And he's already promised that he's going to shine the light of the gospel into people's hearts. We just have to step into the calling, which is the third thing about ministry. It's not, it's, it's not optional. Like ministry to follow Christ is to be a minister. Like follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you a fisher of men. This is the glory of the new covenant, but to ignore it is to be flat out disobedient. This is why we as a church say saved people live sent. Like if you've been rescued by God, you're on the rescue team. God wants to use you. And at the end of the day, there's nothing else that matters in your life. Like there's some important things that all of us got going on in our life, but the most important thing in the world is, is this thing, your salvation and the salvation of others around you. And so I don't know what platform God has you on right now, but the main reason he has you in that platform is for the sake of the gospel. So we need to be leveraging that for everything. So have you embraced this calling that God has placed on your life? And then the last thing I think I see in this passage is the truth about God. So we see the truth about evangelism, the truth about ministry, and now we see the truth about God. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory 
that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says the reason that we don't lose heart as we embrace this mission that God has for our life is that we understand the truth about God. And the truth about God is that he is with us no matter what we face. That's why he never, God will never ask you to do something alone, ever. Think about the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. Therefore, go make disciples, and what does he end with? And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He will never ask you to do something alone. He will always be with you. And the truth is, the truth about God is not only is he with us, but he's at work in our suffering. When we face the difficulties, he's promised nothing happens in vain. Like what you're going through, not only am I with you, but I'm working in it and through it for the sake of you and the sake of saving others. I told you this, some of our deepest, most painful times are the very avenues that God uses to minister to others in our lives. And when we get on the other side of eternity and we're where the rich man and Lazarus is and we're looking back at each other, you know what we're not thinking about? We ain't thinking about how hard it was on earth. All we're thinking about is the person that's in heaven with us because of what we were willing to sacrifice to share the gospel with that person. It won't even compare. We won't even remember it. So the question becomes, are you living in this ministry? Listen, God doesn't need another Jesus. He's not asking you to save people. He's just asking you to do what Christ did for us, which is come from heaven to earth and, and come with the message of the gospel and believe that he wants you to, he, he's using you to do that in this world. For most of us, the issue is not that we don't know what to do. The issue is we, don't, we either don't value what God has called us to do enough or we don't love people enough to see past the surface and see that they're gonna spend eternity separated from God. And we don't believe it's our place to step in there. But what I'm telling you today, that if you are a Christian, you are the messenger. And God's empowering us with his spirit. He's not sending you alone. So would we be a church that sees the lost people of this community, doesn't fight each other, but sees the lost people where we are and takes the good news of the gospel to them. Church, that's what we're called to do. That's who we are. So would we step into that calling and do it and ask God to bless us. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful that you give us the opportunity to be a part of your plan. God, that you take messed up, sinful, jacked up people like me and like the people in this room. And God, you fill us with your spirit. God, you qualify us, you empower us to go and make an eternal difference in the life of people around us. So God, would you open our eyes to see people the way you see people. God, would you give us the boldness to have the spiritual conversation with a person and God, would you give us the faith to trust that it's you that shines the light of the gospel in them. So God, we just wanna be faithful. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand and sing?